Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hey, welcome back to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, with me as always. I, I was thinking of wearing my uh, swim. Uh, sorry, I'm Ellie. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking of wearing my swim trunks today. Okay, um, because even though it's the middle of October, we're all gonna die. Um, yeah. is no, there's no effing reason for it to be this hot right now. Well, one, it's it's early enough in October it can be this warm. It's 83. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in October, yo. Yeah. Oh, do you prefer it colder? I mean, no, because you know my people were brought here against their will. But right, it's apple cider season, not beach weather. Yeah, but it can now be hot apple cider. Anyway, the point is, that's Ellie Mistal, who also is it from Above the Law, who jumped the gun and just really could not wait to complain about the weather. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we're here chatting. The weather is not actually what I wanted to be pissed about today. Oh, okay. Let me rephrase. I would love to only be pissed about the weather today, but unfortunately, I live in America. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, what's your favorite sport? My favorite sport is football, yes. Yes. So my favorite sport is baseball because I'm old like that. But my second favorite sport is football. Only I can't watch football anymore because given all of these national anthem protests, it turns out that professional sports leagues owners have suddenly remembered that they're white and they'd rather have their players act like farmhands. The hypocrisy, if you guys haven't been following along, the hypocrisy of Jerry Jones at this point, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, has reached maximum levels. So Jerry Jones recently said that any player who disrespects the flag is going to be benched and not allowed to play for the Cowboys, which is such BS because Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, of all people, are the first team out of the gate to draft or sign players who have beaten their wives or beaten their children or just generally beat people. So Jerry Jones is literally going to sit here and say that if you disrespect women, you can play football. But if you disrespect the flag, you're going to be benched? Are you kidding me with this guy? I believe you're mostly referring to the signing of Greg Hardy, who not only beat a woman, but like, Threw her onto a bunch of AK-47s or something like that. Threw her a pile of guns. Yeah. That guy can play for the Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott, who is just wrapped up in in stuff, can play for the Cowboys. Randy Gregory, um, who they drafted last year, who clear as anybody can tell is goddamn Nino Brown, can play for the Cowboys. But Colin Kaepernick can't play for the Cowboys. That's Jerry Jones's position right now. Yeah. No, that's his position. And that's the position of a lot of... A lot of NFL owners, yeah. How can you watch? How can you? I, 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 I can't watch the sport. Well, well, let's pull back on sport. I'm Mike Pence at this point. I can't watch the sport. Let's pull back on sport. I watched a lot of college football on Saturday. <laughs> that was fine. I, I mean, I'm kind of with you. I didn't. I caught myself not really watching much on Sunday at this point. It's embarrassing. And again, this is just the latest thing that is embarrassing for the NFL. But when they're not busy 
basically telling black people that they don't have the rights to free speech. They're busy telling white and black people that they can be concussed for our enjoyment. And when they're not busy doing all those kinds of things, uh, they're busy telling their players that it's okay to beat and rape-ish women while they're stealing crab legs. Right. And I was referring to Rapeless Burger and Famous Jameis, though, there. Okay. For the sports fans in our audience. Right. One of whom has been acquitted of things, and the other, I'm just, I'm now covering us no, legally. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, yeah. Thank you. Because um, being sued for defamation by yeah. Ben Roethlisberger wouldn't make me a hero. Okay. <laughs> so, at the end of the day, uh, well, yeah, and let's not forget ripping off local municipalities in bad deals and so on and so forth. Yeah. Hey, but the good news is Trump now, in retaliation, wants to change all the tax laws to penalize the owners because he's mad about flags. And hey, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't really care why you're going to penalize the owners. Finally, something we can agree on. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we could reach across the aisle. I could work with this man on these things. (laughs) I mean, look, it's easy for me to say I'm not watching the NFL this year. My team is 0-5. Oh, man. And And has no wide receivers. has no wide receivers anymore. I mean, I guess, I think Sterling's supposed to be better, I think. But the other two are gone. Yeah, Yeah. they're done. Yeah, The whole team's done. Anyway. Yeah. No, good job. Is that Lamar Jackson's music I hear? You got a lot of you got a lot of needs. Um, so moving on from that, though, what are we talking about? Actually, we're talking indirectly about you today. Not just about me, but I am very proud of my association. So when I'm not doing this podcast and I'm not writing and I'm not uh, taking care of my children, um, I also consult for uh, WNYC's and Radio Labs uh, More Perfect, which is a podcast about the Supreme Court. Um, And so we're going to talk about that today with another lawyer consultant about how we put together um, this awesome show. Yeah, cool. So we're going to take a little break, come back, talk some Supreme Court and some more perfect. And, uh, you know, hopefully Ellie can get over his giants and their abysmalness. Hey, don't worry, buddy. The Knicks are coming up soon. Oh, God. Please kill me. Hi, this is Bob Ambrogi. I've been writing, podcasting, and speaking about legal technology for over two decades. Monica Bay and I co-host a show called Law Technology Now, where we interview experts behind the newest legal tech. Tune in on iTunes, Stitcher, or at LegalTalkNetwork.com to learn why technology is improving the legal industry for lawyers, their clients, and everyone, as it brings us closer to access to justice for all. Okay, we're back. So let's talk more about the Supreme Court here. Today we have uh, Christian Farias, um, who is a legal consultant on More Perfect, among other things. Christian, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. So for people who don't know, tell people what More Perfect is um, so I don't have to. All right. Well, first of all, I know Ellie used the sanitized word consultant. Really what we are is nerds. uh, And we just kind of know a lot about the court and the things that come before the court. And everyone at More Perfect, they're wonderful people. A lot of them are producers, reporters who are just reporters. They're not lawyers. They are based in New York. So they're kind of far away from the nitty gritty of the court in Washington, D.C. And that's kind of a good thing, because uh, when you have a show about the Supreme Court and its rarefied world, and, and then you have all these really curious people who want to know more about it, nothing better than to you know have kind of a, this Radiolab crew, which basically they build their whole model on curiosity and just finding out 
a lot of archival stuff about stuff that is just amazing. And, and basically that's what the show is. More Perfect is a show that's primarily about the people and the issues that come before the court from a very human perspective. And God knows, and probably listeners to the show know that the law is a bitch and is not human. Yeah. A lot of times it's subhuman. And, and in a sense, the show, from what I've been able to listen and experience alongside Ellie and everyone else is that it, it kind of humanizes a lot of these decisions for better or for worse, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of these rulings are truly awful and, and people get that they listen to all that awfulness and, and it comes across and, and all of a sudden you go, wow, the court really did that. And it kind of makes you think long and hard about the country and who we are as a nation. One of the things I, I like to tell people about the shows is that it's there, there are ways that I can explain to my mother what one learned in law school, um, right? It's, I would never say that these shows are dumbed down, but instead of that, I say they explain the law in a way that's accessible for people who don't have law degrees. That said, Joe, and I think you'll back me up here, if you do have a law degree, there's still a good chance that you're going to learn something. Oh, yeah. I mean, the legal history aspect of it is fantastic. I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, I've listened to at least I've listened to three episodes so far. That may not mean that I'm up to date. I, if I'm if that doesn't mean I'm up to date, I'm sorry. But I have listened to three of them so far this season. But to take an example from last season, the kind of mental breakdown of a Supreme Court justice on a very difficult case was a story that, for those of us who knew that case and what happened, you never would have known the behind the scenes breakdown that somebody went through. That was interesting. That was fascinating. That was why that was my favorite episode of last season, because it got into the human world of nine people who, well, as Judge Posner might say, you know, they're just people. They're not super. Uh, and, <laughs> they're not so smart. <laughs> right, exactly. As, as Posner might say, some not so smart people, like how they, they interact with each other. Uh, yeah, I think Joe's referring to the uh, Baker v. Carr episode from last year. Um, so, Christian, the show's, our show is called Thinking Like a Lawyer. We try to tell our, um, try to expose people to what it's really like to have one of these brains and try to live a normal life. Christian, during the production of More Perfect, I, I caught you doing something, and I'd like you to kind of explain it a little bit to our audience. How do you go about, honestly, how do you go about explaining strict scrutiny to non-lawyers, right? Because this, from a lawyer perspective, this is a very basic concept. And yet every time that I've tried to explain it to a non-lawyer, they look at me like I have two heads. No, yeah. I mean, if I try to explain strict scrutiny to a person on the street, you know, it, it's really hard. I can't say I've mastered the art. I don't think many lawyers have. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things where my script changes every time. But, you know, and, and I'm going to try to do it right now, if I may. Uh, <laughs> basically, is you know, w whenever the government does something, you know, the government has a lot of power to do many things. The government discriminates all the time with every decision, almost every decision that it makes. Some people get affected by that decision, others don't. But the Constitution imposes some restraints on that power, you know, and, and whenever that decision discriminates on the basis of very particular categories, uh, the courts are really skeptical, you know, and, and, and whenever that discrimination or that decree affects A, either a fundamental right, or B, uh, discriminates on the basis of a, of 
something immutable about you, whether you're a woman, whether you're a minority, whether you're a person from a particular country. If that government action impinges on either of those two things, then courts will take a magnifying glass and be really skeptical about that government action. And in a sense, that's what strict scrutiny is. If if the government action kind of affects those two things, then the courts are going to be really, 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 they're, they're going to second guess every move that the government makes. And and we see that a lot these days with the Trump administration. And so I'm that's thinking a, there'd, be a lot, nice there'd be a, there, there'd be a lot of strict scrutiny to go around these days, I think. That's such a nice way of putting it. I like to, look, the way that I think about it is that yeah, if you're Texas and the court applies strict scrutiny to you, you're fucked, right? I mean, like that's you're that's, you're that, done. Yeah, that's the point here, right? And so my objection really to strict scrutiny is that it's supposed to be a method for analysis, but really by using that method of analysis, the court has all but already decided which side it's going to come down on. Right, I think right. it's just such a footnote to history. Oh, anybody, <laughs> anybody. Oh. Caroline products jokes. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, there's the legal nerd joke. Who was it that said, you know, strict in theory, fatal in fact, or something like that, you know? And, and, and that's what it is. I mean, you're, you're done. Like, we saw it with the, with the transgender military ban that Trump announced by tweet. I mean, that thing is still in the courts, but the way that thing came about, it was so haphazard. And I'm thinking strict scrutiny is going to come in handy uh, once the courts get around to analyzing whether that thing even makes sense from a policy standpoint. So all signs point to it being struck down when it comes to that point. But yeah, totally. Certainly if the Ninth Circuit has anything to say. Um, that's actually a good segue, Christian. Let's actually talk a little bit about the, uh, the current Supreme Court term. Uh, so let's do this. What's your favorite case this term and especially your favorite case that perhaps a lot of people don't know about. Okay, uh, well, that, that's kind of a. All I'll say is that it involves cell phones, it involves warrants, it involves the Fourth Amendment, and basically, it's, it's the, the cell site cases that the ACLU brought to the Supreme Court. Uh, they've been kind of bubbling under in the lower courts for a while, and basically, the Supreme Court has to decide whether the cops seek information about your location where you have been based on all those little bits and pieces of information that your cell phone sends to uh, cell towers, to the cell phone company, whether the government needs a warrant before they can access that information. The court has suggested, some of the justices have suggested that they do, but there's no clear law on it. There's no final word from the Supreme Court. So I think that's going to be a huge case for a civil liberty standpoint. And uh, and it's going to get the justices to think about technology, think about phones, think about the government, perhaps tracking even their own movements. So usually when it comes to personal things like that, so they get serious about these things. Joe, do you got one? I mean, I, th I do think the redistricting case is probably the most interesting one because it's the only... It's the only one that I have kind of good feelings about, even though they are still guarded. Uh, I think labor unions are going to cease to exist in any functional way at the end of this term. I think that class actions are going to be close to not existing at the end of this term. I feel like uh, yeah, most environment, like I think everything's going to go bad, but I, I that one might not. So I guess. So you, you think Kennedy is going to be on your side when it comes to redistricting? I'm very. I do maintains some reservations. I think that the way in which his first question was, or his first statement was basically to take a dump all over the standing argument was problematic. But he moved past that quickly and seemed seemed generally positive. So 
if he can find a way around that, I think that's that's the answer. My favorite case this term, well, my my favorite uh, uh, under the radar case this term has actually already been argued twice, um, which is surprising. It's uh, Sessions v. Damaya. Basically, all of the immigration cases that come up, I think, are going to be very interesting. Sessions v. v. Damaya is a case that was argued when Scalia was still alive. Then he died. Um, then they put it off, and they've just heard it really within their first week for re-argument. Um, and it's really a case about whether, to my mind, it's really a case about whether or not the Constitution can apply to immigrants. Not illegal aliens. Just straight up like legal permanent residents to this country. Do they still have constitutional protections? A lot of people will say, of course they do. And the people who say that are people who haven't really paid attention to just how bigoted this country can be, and not just bigoted under the Trump administration, how bigoted this country can be, regardless of who's president, towards immigrants. So the actual issue in Demaya is that there's a standard. Lower courts have ruled that standard is probably in violation of due process as applied to this particular immigrant, Demaya, this Filipino immigrant, legal permanent resident. And really the question presented is whether or not a legal permanent resident can have a due process concern at all much less um, is this particular uh, standard uh, an unconstitutional violation of due process. I really don't know how the court's going to side on that. I feel like I know what Gorsuch is going to say, and I feel like I know what Ginsburg is going to say, but I don't know how the middle is going to go, and so I, I'm really kind of interested to see how that plays out. Christian, were you, did you uh, catch any of the Demaya arguments? I did not, but actually, I do have something to say. Is that don't don't be so sure about Gorsuch. Uh, a lot of people forget that one of his big cases as a lower court judge, the one everyone talked about at his confirmation hearings, dealing with how you know he wants to rethink the Chevron doctrine and all that. It involved an undocumented immigrant who he happens to have sided with in announcing his ruling. And uh, so he has a kind of a very, I don't want to say as a soft spot for immigrants, but he does have a soft spot against the administrative state. And our immigration system is very much administrative. So I think uh, if he gets a chance to chip away at our current regime, the bureaucracy of immigration, I think he's going to get his way. And the way to do that is by siding with the immigrant. He may not care about the immigrant, but he does care about sticking it to the government in certain respects. And in this area in particular, I think, you know, we might be surprised. Yeah, I don't think Neil, I freeze truckers, uh, Gorsuch cares about immigrants per se. Um, <laughs> but that's an interesting call. All right, um, people are going to want to know, so let's just do a fantasy SCOTUS lightning round for a second. The travel ban case, does it even make it back to the Supreme Court? And if so, how's it go? The new expanded travel ban, does it make it back and how's it go? I mean, I think it ultimately returns. The question with these travel ban cases is always what they're being set up to be. I mean, this is a, a previous episode where we had Tejinder on, this was his point, is that when they're set up to say, we need an interim travel ban to promulgate real rules and go through the rulemaking process, then the length of time it takes to get there is an argument against them. Because why is this still an interim rule months and months after the fact? If they set this up to be these are the rules we're rolling with, then I think it makes it all the way up and enjoys a zesty challenge. But what are these things going to be by the time we get down the road? What are these going to be, I, what's the word I'm looking for, positioned as, basically? Christian? Yeah, uh, man, that, that's a tough question. I think 
I think the justices are not going to want to touch this with a 10-foot pole, mostly because, not just because it involves Trump, but because it, it will probably be a hot mess when they do. And they tend to avoid, at least for the most part, they're trying to avoid this case like the plague. And we've seen it. They're very likely going to send it back down, the current version of the ban. Uh, they're going to dismiss it on mootness. And the big question is whether they're going to allow the lower court injunctions and the law that was made in those cases to stand. I mean, you know, the federal government wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want to, they don't want to move forward with arguments in the trial ban 2.0 case, but at the same time, they want to vacate the lower court rulings. So, uh, you know, they lost all along in every round of litigation, and yet they want the Supreme Court to scrap basically the Fourth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit's ruling. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of jockeying inside the court to not do that. They're probably just going to dismiss it as moot and leave it there. The interesting thing, though, if the court just dismissed the case as moot, the present case, the Fourth Circuit injunction and the ruling that goes with it stays as the law of the circuit and the same for the Ninth Circuit. So, And challengers in both cases already said that they're going to challenge travel ban 3.0. It's going to have a heavy lift, you know? Yeah, I think what's going to happen eventually is that the Ninth Circuit will find a way to uh, have an injunction against Travel Ban 3.0 as well because it's the Ninth Circuit and they are done giving a shit. Um, and then that gets back to the court. And then whatever the most uh, – kind of what you're saying, Joe, the most narrow version of disagreeing with the Ninth Circuit will be what the court rules 5-4. Okay, last case, Masterpiece Cake Shop. Probably the most interesting case this term. This is the uh, – potential depending on what side of the aisle you're on the first amendment case about a baker who wants to have his art and doesn't want to use his art to promote gayness gay well, marriage in this case why um, do bakers got to ruin everything i mean <laughs> lochner masterpiece like what is it with these people like as a profession why you got to ruin everything they're artisans who have an actual really simple job on the other side, you've got a, a... Hey, I watch Halloween Wars sometimes. Those people are working hard <laughs> to make cakes that have pumpkin spice and still look like a monster. That's the and whitest... I defy you to say that they do anything less. That is the whitest thing you've said this month. Is this really art, though, or is it just kind of a service industry? They're just providing a service and and everyone should be treated equally. And that's, that's one thing I'm having yeah, to struggle that, with. Okay. It, it, is it really art? Because that's the argument that art receives First Amendment protection. But some people would contend that that's not art. That's a cake that has some nice details and perhaps some fondant or whatever that stuff they put on it is. And But that's not art. It's something that you do all the time and I tell you how I want it, what it should look like. And there's very little of you that goes into it. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely is the question. I mean, my, my big worry is that, you know, if this baker can say that his cake is art, then how long before the Subway sandwich artists are saying that they don't have to serve um, a foot long to a gay person? Um, I see the slippery slope. But I'm going to surprise a lot of our regular listeners. I think the cake is art. I do. I think... So, so you really I, think that a white cake with two little grooms on top, that's art? I think a wedding cake is an artistic expression. I think that if it wasn't an artistic expression, people would just get their wedding cakes from Carvel, which we note they do not. I do think that a wedding cake in particular, I wouldn't say this about, you know, the red velvet you buy from Junior's. 
But I think a wedding cake in particular is an actual form of art. And so I think that, it, look, if I was on the court, I would tell them to go fuck themselves because I'm, I'm all about the gay rights. Like I don't, I do not live in a world where I'm required to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ideologically consistent. Ideologically consistent. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't require that. So if I was ruling on this, I would absolutely find a way to rule in favor of gay rights. However, personally, yeah, I, I think a cake is art. Neither of you are going to come with me on this one, are you? No, no. but, but, but where, do you, where do you draw the line, though? Like you have florists, you have those people that do those cool PowerPoint presentations or whatever you call it with pictures of the groom and the bride. Uh, you know, you have lighting artists at these weddings. So all of those guys, if they're religious, they pretty much can say, sorry, I have a First Amendment right to deny you service. Yeah, no, I do. See, I, I, I understand the slippery slope. I understand that. Again, if I was ruling on this, I would, I would rule um, in a certain way. I do think that you can draw a line, porous though it may be, between service people who are simply arranging things versus an artist who has to create and produce something full cloth. So the florist is not man ain't growing the flowers, right? He's going around, he's picking some flowers, he's throwing them in a vase, that ain't art, that's botany. That's not how any of that works. That's totally how it works in my mind. Um, That's, the florist is a botanist. A cake maker is literally from nothing, from, this is where we get the word, from scratch, is creating a new thing. And it's that act of creation that I am willing to put the artistic label on as opposed to mere lighting coordinators and florists and yeah, let's... DJs. How about a photographer that has to take pictures of two women kissing? Oh no, I think I think I think uh, photography is also yeah, I think that's pretty much clearly an art. Who wants a homophobic photographer at their wedding? No, that's true. That, that's true. I that, wouldn't. But that's a decision. But this gets Thank to the core of all this, right? Like that that's a decision that the people hiring the folks should be making, not the service provider themselves. You can be an artist and suffer for your art and paint whatever the hell you want and try and peddle it. But at the point that you open up a service to the world and say, the world can come here and hire me for this, once you start discriminating down that road, that is a problem. Everyone can be as racist as they want in their house once they open their house as a bed and breakfast, they don't get that right anymore. And there's a reason for that. And that's where this comes in. I don't really care if we can define it as something approximating art or whatever. When you open yourself up as a four commission, I'm going to build this thing for you. You have to abide by society's rules mercifully. I, I agree with that. I told, again, if well, this I was, is why I should, this is why I'm an article three shortlister if, all the time. If I was a judge, that's yeah. how I would rule. I'm just saying that on the question presented is baking a wedding cake art. I'm going to say it's art. I'm just going to say that I just don't fucking care that I'm making you use your art in a way that, as you, I think, eloquently put it, comports with society. I don't care. I don't care that I'm re- you, you made the choice to open the store. Yeah. Right? Don't like, an, you don't have to don't have to be an artist. You yeah. could be a preacher. Yeah. And then nobody could make you say nice things about anybody. Yeah. Except but. for your God. Anyway, but yeah. No, that's an interesting one. I like Christian, you're taking such the intellectual middle ground here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I do I do agree that, you know, like this baker, for example, 
apparently his bakery doesn't like he has a whole bunch of cakes that he sells to everyone and like he doesn't deny cookies or pastries to you know gay people that go into a store it's just the act of designing the wedding cake so the question is you know do you want to sacrifice that part of your business just because you have this one important religious point that you want to make or this first amendment point that you want to make i didn't know about the cookies wait this guy so if I'm gay and I walk in the store and I'm like, can I have some cookies? He's like, yes. And I'm like, can I have some cakes? And he's like, no, go fuck yourself. That's, that's his dance. Well, well no, he'll sell, you a, he'll sell you a pre-made cake that he has on the shelf, like in his refrigerator or whatever. But he won't make you a custom-made cake. Oh, right. he can't just go into his little artisan um, mode and think, I'm going to make. So if he doesn't know who he's making it for, he'll sell it to you. But if he happens to know you're gay while he's making it, that's what ruins it. Yeah, and that's what's weird to me because let's say that, you know, Christians tend to be, you know, very moralistic when it comes to, you know, for example, uh, sex out of wedlock or, you know, when you kind of have a mistress. What if I'm, a, I'm married, but yet I'm about to kind of run away with my mistress and I want to buy a cake before I go have a shotgun wedding? And I tell this guy, hey, look, I'm, I don't tell him anything about my background, but I tell him, hey, look, I'm going to get married to this wonderful woman. Would you sell me a cake? I would bet this guy would sell me a cake. But what if I tell him my backstory? Would he sell me the cake? You know, and, and that's where the, there's all these interesting hypotheticals uh, that you can pose that truly put this religious claim in, in really kind of in an awkward situation. So uh, I wonder if the court is going to be able to grapple with all of those implications. And I hope that they do because who knows what kind of Pandora's box they could open. What if you tell that baker that you're divorced? Will he do it for you then? No, look, I think this is fascinating, but I think it's impartial. Let me close with this. I think part of the thing that's fascinating to me, right, is that, and I don't mean to offend any of our tepid listeners, but I mean, bigots, you almost have to laugh at them, right? I mean, like it's like the, the mental hurdles you have to go through to get yourself to the point where, as I think you're putting it very well, Christian, where you're kind of okay being bigoted towards gay people, but only in only for cakes, not for cookies. Only like it, just the gymnastics it takes. It's just, I guess what I'm trying to say to you people, it's so much simpler just not hating. It's just so like there's just the world, just like you, you free up like so much time in your day if you just like prosecute your life with the assumption that everybody is a decent person well i don't know about decent but oh <laughs> both of you decent well the baker in his in his uh, supreme court brief uh, his lawyers made kind of an interesting concession and they said that he is against atheism and that he probably would not make a cake for an atheist that would come into a store requesting, I don't know, a cake celebrating atheism or agnosticism or whatever. So again, you know, where do you draw the line, you know? And does anything that you claim as part of your sincerely held religious beliefs trumps your duty to serve the public? So I think it's, it's an interesting case and who knows what Anthony Kennedy's gonna do. He's gonna agonize so much over it that some people think he might retire at the end of the term, who knows? But yeah, I have no idea how the court is going to come down on this. Yeah. Once again, I reiterate, bakers ruin everything. What, what, what is it? Uh, 
cases about Baker's McBad Law. It's it's a phrase like that. Anyway, <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us, Christian. And the show is more perfect, which everyone should be listening to already, since Ellie's also involved with it. But if not, get on that. There's a few issue. Uh, there's a few episodes. I said issues. Huh. Well, it's like an issue. Um, there's a few episodes out already. The whole season's you know sent to your listening device if you subscribe which you should also be subscribed to this show already and if you aren't you should do that now and then mm-hmm. you should then you should tell everybody about it and then you should give us reviews and just yell at strangers that they should be listening to thinking like a lawyer and all that follow us on twitter i'm at joseph patrice he's at lenyc should read above the law should check out the other legal talk network podcasts they're all over the legal talk network there's a legal talk network app you can listen to too uh, that, I think, is every single possible plug I have. Is there anything else you want to say? I can't think of any more plugs now. This whole this whole episode has been like one large plug. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Good <laughs> job. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See you guys later. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.